Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, laid down in grief, but I woke with the key to hell on that day, the firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ laid. Welcome to Epiphany's Sunday Sermons, a podcast ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. To learn more about our church, visit our website at epiphanyligonier.org. But uh, we're back to our theme for Lent, which is I Fought the Law and the Law One. And one of the things that we do during this season of Lent is we take some time talk a lot about the forgiveness of sins and and sort of do this thought experiment. What would happen to us if God wasn't merciful? Um, What would our life be like if there was no such thing as forgiveness and mercy? And we do this every Lent because it helps us appreciate Easter. That's what we do. We take some time to think about, well, if God wasn't loving and, and gracious and forgiving, what would our life look like? And it's very scary, but we take a couple of weeks to do that thought experiment so we can appreciate Easter, Jesus' death and resurrection, more fully. And so a week and a half ago, uh, I was actually at the borough council meeting here in Ligonier. It was my first time there, and uh, that's where I got permission to set up the food truck outside of Town Hall with the rescue dogs. I went before the town council, I told them what we were going to do, and said, pretty please may we have permission to do this. And uh, they were, of course, very gracious. Uh, they said, yes, not only do we want you there, but um, we're going to put it on our calendar because we want to come and grab hot dogs and french fries from the food truck, too. I was like, okay, good. So Town Hall was very supportive. They're going to let us set up our food truck friends right off uh, the diamond right across from Town Hall. So mark the date on the calendar. But imagine if we had tried to pull that off without getting permission from Borough Council. I'm seeing you shaking heads. You're closing your eyes going, oof. Right? What's the old saying? You can't, you can't fight City Hall. Imagine if we just showed up on the diamond one day with a food truck and started raising money for a good cause and didn't get permission. I think we might end up with some fines. We might end up um, getting a bad reputation in the community. Um, we might end up in handcuffs. I don't think you guys would, but I probably would as the leader. Um, Russ is saying, don't worry, I've had some experience. It's not so bad. but. Um, uh, you know, what would the bishop say, you know, my mugshot in the paper for um, uh, uh, unapproved financial fundraising. But uh, no, we did get permission from town hall. We don't fight city hall. Uh, we did not have to fight the law. The law um, won anyway, and we're happy, of course, not to fight it. But that's just Ligonier Borough, right? Uh, Ligonier Borough, a vaunted institution, of course, but one that only has jurisdiction over about 1,500 people who live in the borough and whose total authority only extends over about a half a square mile. All things considered, it's a pretty small place to have that kind of authority. But uh, think about this from the heavenly realms, though. What about when God is the one making the rules? The God who is in charge of everything, the entire cosmos. Um, The God who is in charge not just over 15 um, hundred people, but every person. Um, what, what happens when he makes the laws, and what would happen if people rebelled against them? 
And today we get a, a real shocking and dramatic reading of someone who did rebel against the law of God. And that is the story of Korah's rebellion from Numbers chapter 16. It's one of the greatest examples in the Old Testament of open rebellion against God, right? Not just sort of, um, hey, I'm, I'm really struggling to obey you, Jesus, and I'm sorry. But actually like, hey, what God said is terrible, and we're going to fight you over this. Um, that's what's going on in our reading today. Um, and to give you the context here, the people of Israel just got some bad news. Um, God had brought them out of Egypt, and he was taking them up to their new home, uh, a land called Canaan. Um, you may have heard it called the Promised Land. I'm just going to call it their new home, right? And so there's a big transition that people are going from Egypt, where they were slaves, doing what people told them, to now they're leaving Egypt, and they're getting to know their God in a new and fresh way, and God's sort of giving them instructions for how to live in the land. But the people have gotten bad news um, that they are not going to be entering the land for some time now. Um, that they, um, it's a long story, but it's going to be another couple of decades, in fact, before they're able to enter into God's land. So the people of God are not very happy. They, they're not taking this news very well. And so the people, when we hit number 16, they're angry, they're irate. And, um, well, this comes to a head when a man named Korah challenges Moses, uh, the leader of the people appointed by God, and Aaron, his brother, who has been anointed as by God as the high priest. So he comes, uh, Korah comes into rebellion against like the political leader of Israel and the spiritual leader of Israel together. And he says, um, hey, who put you guys in charge? Who put you guys in charge? Now Korah's job here is of course, he is um, within the community a Levite. Uh, and if you know your ancient Israel and kind of how that works, it means that his job, uh, Korah's job, was not to sort of plant gardens, it wasn't to tend livestock, it wasn't to um, uh, uh, do any of those things, like be a metalsmith or, or work with metal. Um, his job was to be uh, an assistant with the church. So in Old Testament church, Korah was part of the team that helped lead people in God's worship, but he was not a priest. That was sort of a certain subset of Levites. That said, he really wanted to be a priest because he thought to himself, maybe if I was a priest, and these other men who supported me were in charge, then maybe we wouldn't be wandering in the wilderness so much. Maybe we could get into our home faster. Maybe the problem is with Moses and Aaron. And so that's what comes forward in our reading, right? Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram and the sons of Eli and sons of Reuben, they all took men. These guys all took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said, you have gone too far for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And so they come to Moses and Aaron. The charge is something like this. Look, we all have access to God here, but Moses and Aaron and Aaron's descendants, you guys are hogging all of the access to God. Um, you think you're so much better than us. Well, look, here's 250 other men who would be great priests. Why can't they have some stake in the leadership of the people? And implicit in Korah's rebellion here is he's resentful that he's not a priest, and if he could lead the people, then he could do a better job, and that all of the people, of course, um, uh, could have some access to God that's currently being guarded by Moses and Aaron. It's time, says Korah, for new leadership. 
But Korah gets something very fundamental wrong. Because Korah is under the impression that Moses and Aaron, um, they're in charge. And of course, we know that that's not true. Moses and Aaron, they may be the, the political and the spiritual leader of Israel, but they're not really in charge. Because the system that they've put in place, they didn't make it up. God put the system in place. God is the one who chose Moses to be the leader and talks to Moses. God is the one who said Aaron is going to be the high priest and his descendants will be the priests for the people. And so we're not talking about something that Moses and Aaron made up out of thin air. We're talking about something that God put in place for the people of Israel during this season. And so what happens is Moses immediately falls down on his face. And if you read through the Old Testament, anytime Moses falls down on his face, um, look out because there's probably some smiting about to happen. God's in a smiting mood. And Moses is saying, oh no, <laughs> like bad things are coming because we haven't trusted God correctly. And so Moses falls down on his face and says, no, Korah, you don't know what you're talking about here. Um, this is not what, what you think it is. Um, Korah, all your supporters, people like Dathan and Abraham, right? You guys know what you're talking about here because you're not rebelling against me. You're rebelling against God. So at every opportunity, Moses, he, he pleads, he says, listen, let's not do this because it's only going to lead to bad things. And Moses being very gracious here. He's saying, let's stop this before it gets too far. But the, the arrangement that they make is that there's going to be a priest off. Um, there's going to be 250 of these men. Uh, and then they're going to be a handful of, of people with Moses and Aaron. And they're going to see who God chooses. Uh, they come together with censers. A censer is a device used for um, spreading incense and worship. We don't do that here at Epiphany. We don't have incense. But some Christian tradition, if you come from maybe a Catholic or an Orthodox, some Lutherans, some Anglicans, maybe have a little metal bowl. They'll burn incense and it'll smell really good. Um, in the ancient world, of course, where you're, you don't have access to a lot of water, and you can't shower and bathe all the time, and you're working with livestock a lot, you know, um, good smells were few and far between. Let's just put it that way. And so when you came to church, it was a sign of God's goodness because God himself is not dirty, so you smelled good things. And so in, ancient Israel, in the worship of ancient Israel, they had perfumes and incense, and so um, Moses and, and Korah come up with a deal. You guys burn incense, we'll burn incense, and we'll see who God listens to. Um, we'll see who God listens to. So the next day, everybody shows up. They're getting ready. They have their God off, their priest off. 250 men each burning incense. It smells wonderful. It smells very good. Moses, Aaron, and a couple of their supporters off to the side. God's presence arrives at the tent of meeting, something that happens in worship at that time. And God says, everybody step back. You're like, oh dear. Um, everybody step back from Korah and his supporters. One last warning from God before um, I can think I can say this theologically. All hell breaks loose. Because once everybody steps back, the ground opens up. It swallows Korah and his supporters. And they go down, as the text says, into Sheol. And then the ground closes up over them. And then fire comes down on the 250 men with their censers and burns them to ashes. And the incense fall to the ground. People scream, terror breaks out in the camp, everyone panics and runs away. It's absolute pandemonium. Now, quick word for some clarification here. Because some of you are thinking, gee, I'd better be nice to Pastor Brian <laughs> or else the earth's going to swallow me up. And I say, yes, you should. Be nice to me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, the, this is not the moral of the story at all, right? 
Sometimes pastors, they need to be run out of churches. I hope I don't need to anytime soon. But um, this isn't about disobeying pastors or obeying pastors or swapping pastors. Um, we pastors are fallible creatures, but sometimes there needs to be a rebellion against a bad pastor because it's bad for the church. So I'm not going to tell you not to be a rebel against the pastor. I'm just going to say, be nice to me, please. Um, but the primary point of rebellion here is not against the bad pastors. It's um, a rebellion against God. That people have come to God and God's law and said, no, we don't want that. People have come to God's law and said, absolutely not. We want to do things our way. Korah wasn't a bad pastor trying to run, out, uh, run a bad pastor out of church. Korah was trying to fight God's law, something that God had appointed. And uh, as, as made apparent in our reading, God won. Right? Korah fought the law, and the law won. I think human beings have a lot in common with Korah. We're all programmed to fight against the laws in our lives. Human laws, the laws of God, whatever laws we run up against, there's something in us that wants to fight against those laws. Um, here's an earthly example of this. I wonder if you guys know, uh, maybe you have a, a, a grandchild or a niece or a nephew or a sister or a friend. Maybe this was you. Um, remember um, in high school, there were the goth kids? You know what I'm talking about when I talk about the goth kids in high school, right? Um, they, they like to wear black all the time. Maybe they dye their hair a crazy color. And um, they tend to sort of um, uh, not get involved in sort of the pep rally life of the school. They tend to isolate themselves. Um, they listen to very prickly rock and roll music. Uh, and uh, they look sad and mopey all the time and, you know, invest in eyeliner, right? Um, now, I love goth kids, and here's why. I think they're phenomenal. They're some of my favorite people. Because what that lifestyle is, it's a rebellion against the law to be cool. Right? What is the law to be cool in high school? Look good, feel good, succeed all the time, play a sport, join clubs, do all of these things. And if you do all of these things, you listen to the top 40 music, you have uh, the impeccable fashion taste, then people will like you, and you can get your letter jacket, and um, do these things, and you will have a good life. Do these things, and you shall live. So a lot of students, they see that, and they gravitate towards it, and they say, yeah, that's, that's what I can do. But these, the goth kids who I love, they're like, look, I don't want to be cool. I don't want to be popular. I don't want to be happy all the time. My grades, they're really not that great. Um, maybe they are, but you know what I'm saying. right? I, I'm totally unathletic. I don't want to play sports. Like, I'm not going to go to a great college necessarily. I'm probably going to go to a community college for a spell because I can't afford a four-year degree. And so teens rebel against these laws all the time, and that, that sort of goth or emo kid lifestyle is one of those ways where the, the kids say, look, I don't want to be um, what the rules say I have to be. And so if you, you have a goth kid in your world, give them a hug. They'll really like it. And I mean that sincerely. They really will. Um, because high school is hard, and they're, they're sort of struggling to get through. Rumor has it my wife was a goth kid, but that's for another time. Okay. So people rebel against man-made laws all the time. You know, a week or so ago, there was a large convoy of tractor trailers blocking traffic in, in and around Washington, D.C. They're protesting the COVID protocols. Um, that's dangerous. It's borderline illegal. I'm not sure. But, like, you can see how people are rebelling against the laws of the day, kicking against them. My least favorite thing, and if any of you do this, I'm going to have words with you, but I don't think any of you are going to do this, is when um, people are putting a little political sticker of a politician on the gas pump. Right, and they're saying, you know, I did that. I, they're all over here looking here. I don't know about your life. Um, like that's vandalism and it's a felony, right? <laughs> like I just want to say that out loud. There's grace. There's grace. 
Um, but that's a law that people are rebelling against. I heard a radio story once about a man who loved crab. He loved crab. And the problem is, is he had a medical condition where he had a serious allergy um, to, to crab. It's a true story. The doctors tell him, you cannot eat crab. It will kill you. No more crab. Stop eating crab. But the man loved crab so much. And so he started doing this. Twice a year, he'd make a restaurant reservation at a seafood restaurant. And his first course would be a little medicine cup full of Benadryl. And he'd bring with him an EpiPen, and he'd bring with him um, an inhaler. And, and, and twice a year, he prepared himself to sit down and break the law of the doctors and eat crab and have a crazy allergic reaction. He just loved crab so much, he couldn't stop eating crab. And so he sat there with his like $700 EpiPen just ready to go in case things got out of hand. And so sure enough, um, well, he's still with us, but his wife hated it. Um, she was afraid for his health. He never did tell his doctors because no one was gonna tell this man, give him this rule and this law that he could not enjoy his crap. Rules are rules and people will rebel against rules that are man-made all the time. Um, but then God comes along and says things like, Moses and Aaron are the bosses I've chosen. And God also says things like, you shall have no other gods before me and love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And then God says also, love your neighbor as yourself. And in most of the time, we look at those laws and we may not realize, but we can rebel against those laws in just the same way. Um, and in the beginning of the service, right, we do this from time to time. We start our service off with those two commands, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And when we're not in Lent, we would respond to that, Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. That's because we don't love God first, and we don't love our neighbors as we ought. And I don't need to belabor the point. I think you know how in your own life and in your own way this manifests itself. And as we discussed a few weeks ago, right, Jesus explains it's not just our actions that God wants, but our hearts and our attitudes and our motivations fall under this umbrella too. And so if we're fully in tune with what God wants uh, for us and what we offer, um, we're going to find that we do fall short frequently and often of his standard. And it begs the question, why doesn't the earth swallow us up? Why doesn't fire come down from heaven and burn us alive? Why, even though we have the proclivity to be like Korah, why don't we suffer Korah-like consequences? And the reason uh, comes to us on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday. Um, God needed to deal with Korah, I think, because of the timing, because Israel needed to be uh, in that place and in that time, and Korah was getting in the way of something specific God was doing. Um, but for everyone else, there is this Old Testament hope that points to Jesus, and there's a New Testament testimony that points to Jesus, that he would take upon himself the iniquity of us all, says the New Testament. He became the curse for us. And even though our hearts may be like Korah's, prone to rebellion against the law of God, Jesus died and rose again so that we rebels could be granted amnesty and welcomed back into the kingdom of God. Um, and so that's why we're taking time to think about what life would be like if the heavens weren't merciful. 
because there could be a Korah moment where we find the earth metaphorically, maybe literally, it's the Lord, who knows, uh, the earth swallows us up and we find ourselves, as the text says, headed to Sheol. Uh, but because of what Jesus has done, that is not what's going to happen. So what happens in the rest of our reading? What happens next? Um, well, two things. First, immediately the people of Israel, they don't like it. Um, the people of Israel come to Moses the next day and they said, hey, that was too much, Moses. Those were our people and they are gone. And well, the people of Israel grumble and rebel against Moses and God for getting rid of Korah. And so more bad things happen to the people of Israel. That's a sermon for another time. So it's not just to say that looking at the punishment of God is going to inspire us to repentance. It doesn't always happen that way. But later on, a couple chapters later, we find that Korah's children, Korah's children all survive. Um, Korah's children all survive. And they continue to have kids. And they continue to look at what happened at their father and they repent. And by the time we get to the book of Psalms, um, that big book of prayers in the Old Testament, uh, of the 150 psalms or so, 11 of them are earmarked by the title, uh, By the Sons of Korah. The Sons of Korah. So it seems as if the descendants of this man looked back to what happened to their ancestor, and they had a change of thought. And they were composing hymns, praising God and thanking God for his mercy and rededicating themselves to his providence. And, well, they get Bible books in the Bible because of what they uh, were able to do and repent and recognize what their father had done. And one of them, Psalm 46, is just very funny. Um, here's what the sons of Korah composed a thousand years ago, um, thinking on today's reading. They said, God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give away, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. It's this very funny moment where the sons of Korah recognize that they're not afraid anymore because they've come to trust God and recognize that God is indeed merciful, a source of refuge and strength and a present help in the time of need. A cheeky reference to our story today. And so for this family, seven generations later, everything has come back around. They recognize that without God's grace and mercy, they would end up and shield just like their ancestor. And by God's grace, we find that Jesus went to Sheol on our behalf, swallowed up in an earthen tomb only to be spit out three days later. Rebellion against God's laws may lead to Sheol, but repentance for not following God's laws opens us up to the grace for the one who went to hell on our behalf. The gospel, friends, is for rebels like us who have a little bit of that Korah in our hearts. And so today, friends, rejoice, repent, be forgiven, Lay down your rebellious arms and be welcomed home into the arms of Jesus, your Savior. In Jesus' name we say these things. Amen. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, down in green, the keys. Fell on that day, firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus.
Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.